From WGVU, this is Focus West Michigan for Thursday, February 22, 2024. I'm Joe Balecki. For our main feature today, Dee Morrison looks at Kent County's Safe Sleep Program for Infants. Also, the Ottawa Sands Park received a large gift to expand its amenities. The state gears up for the presidential primaries and more state and West Michigan news. Focus West Michigan is brought to you by listeners like you. To support this show and everything we do, visit wgvunews.org and click the donate button. An Ottawa County Park is expected to open some new amenities this fall. WGVU's David Limbaugh has more on what's in store at Ottawa Sands. Thanks to a nearly $3.5 million gift from the Bill and B. Itama Foundation, the Itama Explorers Camp is currently being built at Ottawa Sands Park in Ferrysburg. Riley Dorman with Ottawa County Parks explains some of the new amenities the public can look forward to. That consists of 10 campsites, 5 yurts, and 3 treehouses, all of which are expected to be available for rent in late 2024 for overnight stays. The tree houses and yurts, which are permanent circular structures assembled much like a tent, will be available year-round. We'll have a paved, non-motorized pathway providing access to the camp. There will be a universally accessible kayak launch. Dorman says this was all part of the Ottawa Sands Master Plan, which began with the acquisition of the 345-acre park in 2019, ensuring people of all ages and abilities would be able to enjoy it. Part of that is making it more accessible and also improving the ecological features of the park. Ottawa County Parks and Recreation has been working with Audubon Great Lakes and the Michigan DNR on these improvements. The public will be able to make reservations online once the project is complete. Updates will be posted to the Ottawa County Parks and Recreation Facebook page. I'm David Limbaugh. Getting college students out to vote is a big focus for Grand Valley State University's Office of Student Life. WGVU's Dee Morrison reports on the efforts. With the Michigan primary set for Tuesday, February 27, and early voting underway, staff in Grand Valley's Office of Student Life is working hard to ensure the campus community is prepared to participate. Leaders say their goal is to provide accurate information to help students think through their options. The group is hosting several events to increase voter registration and turnout, as well as educate students on issues surrounding the voting process. Events include getting students who are residents of Allendale Township to register to vote and cast ballots in the clerk's satellite office at the Kirkhoff Center, and several forums with youth activists discussing current issues from gun safety to immigration. GVSU has previously received a national recognition for its commitment to voter engagement, earning a gold ranking in the Michigan Collegiate Voting Challenge during the 2020 presidential election. Details on upcoming events and volunteer opportunities can be found at www.gvsu.edu vote. I'm Dee Morrison. A recent statewide poll indicates President Joe Biden is trailing presumptive Republican challenger former President Donald Trump by single digits. WGVU's Patrick Center breaks down the survey. Lansing-based Epic MRA conducted a mid-February survey of 600 registered Michigan voters, 80% by cell phone. Of those who answered, an even split with 41% identifying as Democrat and 41% Republican, 14% Independent. When asked if the presidential election were held today, which candidate would you vote for? 45% said they'd vote for Donald Trump, with 41% favoring Joe Biden. 14% responded undecided or refused to answer the survey. 
As for voter opinion of the two men, Biden and Trump each received 54% unfavorable ratings. That's compared with low favorability, Biden receiving a 38% favorability rating and Trump 40%. By comparison, 53% have a favorable opinion of Governor Gretchen Whitmer. The survey has a plus-minus error of 4%. I'm Patrick Center. A $40 million gift was recently made to Helen DeVos Children's Hospital by the DeVos Family Foundation. WGVU's David Limbaugh explains how some of that money is being utilized. While some of those funds will be put toward Helen DeVos Children's Hospital's new 12-bed inpatient psychiatry unit, $20 million will be used to create a permanent endowment for the Child and Family Life team. Amy Davis is the Child and Family Life Manager at the hospital. She says their team plays an important role in normalizing the patient's hospital visit. That comes in really forms of play, education, preparation, distractions, supporting and offering coping skills so that they can navigate whatever it is they're here in the hospital for. Examples of that would be music therapy in the form of songwriting for a child coping with a new diagnosis or a hospital teacher helping a patient keep up with their studies during their stay. It's so important that we meet all the families' complex needs in their psychosocial care and having the right tools and resources and the right team members a part of child and family life is really important to the work that we do every day. Those tools include items like Chromebooks, musical instruments, and art supplies. Davis says that philanthropy is the reason this team can continue doing this important work. This gift really ensures our team's future with our staff to meet the patient's ever-changing complex medical needs. I'm David Limbaugh. As spring break plans begin, the Better Business Bureau serving western Michigan says consumers have reported losing more than $600 on average to travel scams. WGVU's Jennifer Moss spoke with the Better Business Bureau. They have some tips to help you avoid being scammed. Whether you're looking to travel abroad or stick closer to home, many spring break plans are now underway. The Better Business Bureau serving western Michigan says it wants to make sure you get what you pay for and avoid being scammed on travel. Katie Grievous, Marketing and Communications Manager with the BBB, says an Ottawa County woman fell victim. She was looking for help with kind of rearranging some flight plans, and so she called what she thought was the customer service number for the airline, ended up paying an extra $350 over the phone. When she got to the airport, she realized not only was her flight plan not rearranged, but she ended up sending that money to a scammer. So she ended up paying for her original flight plus extra money for nothing. The BBB Scam Tracker Risk Report notes that consumers reported losing a median of $600 to travel scams. Grivia says con artists often post listings for properties that are not for rent, do not exist, or are significantly different from what is pictured. Scammers also create fake hotel booking sites that claim to offer stays at legitimate hotels for discounted rates. So we want to be aware and do a little bit more planning before they make these big travel plans this spring so that they don't get caught up in this kind of a scam and they don't end up paying all this extra money to have to rebook the whole trip again anyway. Grievous advises travelers to be wary of third-party websites and avoid broad internet searches, among other things. You can find more travel tips and info at bbb.org. I'm Jennifer Moss. 
Governor Gretchen Whitmer dropped by an early voting center yesterday to thank election workers and to call attention to the state's early voting law. We have more from Rick Paluta. More than 18,000 people have already taken advantage of the new law that allows nine days of early in-person voting at designated polling places. It's being used for the first time as part of the state's Democratic and Republican presidential primaries. Whitmer said Michigan moved its primary earlier to make its voters more influential in choosing both parties' nominees. Doesn't matter which ballot they're grabbing, we want to make sure that it's easy and that it's protected and respected. The Democratic governor said the new law should also spur wider participation in the November election, when Michigan voters are expected to play a crucial role in the outcome. I'm Rick Pluta in Lansing. Michigan's Attorney General announced charges yesterday in an alleged scheme to cover up contributions to the pandemic-era Unlock Michigan campaign. Colin Jackson has more. The Unlock Michigan campaign sought to limit the governor's emergency powers. Two political consultants are now facing charges related to allegedly raising money for the initiative through nonprofits that didn't have to disclose donors. Attorney General Dana Nessel says this could have been handled through the Secretary of State's office. The preferred way to go about this, obviously, is to have the Secretary of State resolve it administratively and issue a fine. This is only referred to us because they refuse to cooperate. The most serious charges are felonies, including perjury and uttering and publishing for allegedly lying to investigators and signing a false affidavit. I'm Colin Jackson in Lansing. This is Ira Glass of This American Life, and I'm coming to Grand Rapids to give a talk that I call Seven Things I've Learned, which is basically just an excuse to tell a bunch of stories, play some clips, play some video, talk about how we make the radio show. There's stuff that we have not put on the air and never will put on the air. It's a bunch of stories that are just really fun to tell in front of a crowd. Join me Saturday, April 6th at DeVos Performance Hall. For tickets, visit DeVosPerformanceHall.com. Again, DeVosPerformanceHall.com. Fewer babies are dying in Kent County due to unsafe sleep practices. The numbers are at a 10-year low. Health experts credit a countywide focus on reducing risks. WGVU's Dee Morrison spoke with Renee Dunwell, the co-coordinator of Kent County's Safe Sleep Program. Thank you for talking with us about this topic today, Renee. Can you tell me a little bit about the recent numbers that came out that your department is pretty pleased with? On average in Kent County, um, we lose about 5.7 infants for every 1,000 live births due to unsafe sleep. In the last three years, so in 2021, out of all of the infant deaths that happened in 2021, 23% of those deaths were unsafe sleep related. And then in 2022, 17% of infant deaths were unsafe sleep related. And then in 2023, we were able to get that number down to 11% of all infant deaths were related to safe sleep. So we're really pleased with those numbers and we're really trying to hope to see those continue to decrease. There's been a real push to get the safe sleep program information out there to the community. Can you tell us a little about the program? Sure. So the Safe Sleep Program is co-coordinated by myself and Marissa Brown. Um, We are both previously home visiting nurses. One of our main focuses is partnering with local agencies, partnered with Trinity Health, Mercy, St. Mary's Hospital, and also Corwell Health Hospital. We also partner with local fire and EMS and, and other agencies within the community to help not only spread 
the messaging, but also make sure that we're connecting families with resources they may need, like panka plays or sleep sacks, different things that help with creating a safe environment for baby to sleep. You know, co-sleeping can be planned and unplanned. You know, we have people who choose to co-sleep because that's part of their culture or that's just their personal choice. And then we have instances where, you know, mom or dad just fell asleep with baby. One of the things we like to focus on currently is what we call risk reduction messaging or conversations with families. So we obviously talk still about the ABCs of safe sleep, which is the gold standard, but we also realize that sometimes that just doesn't work for families. So we think it's important that we're talking to families and having open, non-judgmental conversations about how they sleep their baby and give them some tips on how to make that situation safer. So if they do co-sleep, there are things that we can do. It doesn't make it safe, but we can make it safer than it would be otherwise. Can you talk a little bit about those safe sleeping tips? Sure. So, you know, if if a family is either going to co-sleep because they're planning to or unplanned, we talk to them about removing blankets from the bed and having parent just wear multiple layers for their warmth. We talk about taking out pillows. If the parent that's sleeping with baby wants a pillow, that we have a small pillow and it just be theirs. Um, we talk about making sure that the there's only one parent in the bed with the baby. So if there is a partner, that person either sleeps on the couch or on another bed. And then we do make sure that there's no other children in the bed or pets. So it's really just baby and the parent. We also talk about the importance that the parent that is sleeping with baby is a sober parent so it can make wise decisions about the sleeping situation. And then we also talk about making sure that we're placing baby away from the wall. Many parents think it's important to have baby against the wall so they don't fall, but it's actually more risky because then they have the risk of falling between the bed and the wall. So those are some of the tips that we talk to families about. What are the best advice, best practices for the safest way to put your infant to bed? So it is the ABCs of safe sleep. So A is alone, meaning there is nothing in the sleep surface with them. There's no pillows, there's no blankets, there's no toys, there's no bumper pads. It is just baby on a tight mattress by themselves. And then we have B for back. So babies should be placed on their back for every sleep. Even when they are able to roll freely, they should always be placed to their back at the beginning of sleep. And then if baby chooses to roll, then we allow them to do that. But they should start on their back. And then C is for crib. So they should be in their own sleep area, which can be a crib, a bassinet, or a pack and play. Again, that needs to be a flat surface. The mattress needs to be firm with a tightly fitted sheet. And then we do include the S, which is smoke and substance free. So we want to make sure that we're trying to protect babies from second and third hand smoke and also making sure that they're not being exposed to a parent who might be under the influence of substances. Going back to the program that you were speaking about and partnering with some of the local emergency services, fire agencies and ambulance crews and law enforcement too, has part of the success of this program, do you think, been that ability to educate those agencies to have have the confidence to give the information to families that they encounter. I think it has been important. I think many people are aware of what ABCs of safe sleep are. But in the case of fire and EMS, what do you do with that? You know, if you go into a call and then you may see a situation where a baby might be unsafe sleeping or maybe there's a pack of play but it's full of toys, how do you prepare them to have that conversation? So a lot of what we do is we talk about, you know, what they can do during that time 
of engaging with the family in the home. Many of them will do like brief education or talk briefly about it, but a lot of it with especially agencies that are going to be busy and on several calls is we also function as an outlet for them. So we get referrals from them that we can follow up with families and have more of a longer conversation with families. Marissa and I do home visits with families where we can go to their home, have a conversation about their sleep surface area, the room, whatever it might be, help problem solve any risky things that we see. And so I think we prepared them to have that conversation and at least recognize what they can do in like that short moment of time. Giving people the tools. Anything that you wanted to add, Renee, I didn't ask you that you think it's important people know about the issue of safe sleeping for infants? Yeah, I just I just want to emphasize the fact that this is a countywide thing that everybody is working on. We do have the Safe Sleep program, but there's a lot of agencies out there that are doing safe sleep work. You have the hospitals, you have pediatricians, you have other agencies who are providing tech in place to families or connecting them back to us or whatever it might be. So there's just countywide a lot of work being done on this topic. And I just want to stress too that there are ways to reduce this risk and prevent these deaths. And I think one of the biggest things is to think about is these are preventable. These There's things that we can do to stop this from happening. And we'd really like to get that message out there and hopefully see these numbers decrease even further. Yeah. Thank you very much, Renee. I appreciate you taking the time to talk about this with us today. This has been Focus West Michigan from WGVU for Thursday, February 22, 2024. I'm Joe Balecki. Our audio operations manager is Rick Beerling and our news and public affairs director is Patrick Center. We'll be back with more news and events in West Michigan tomorrow, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.